joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone. This is Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, and welcome to your hour of blissful living. I am your host for this wonderful hour, and we're going to share some wonderful, wonderful ways that's um, that's going to help you, of course, have more bliss in your life and really help you to have a much, much better perspective on things, especially when it comes to how to find your way around things. And my guest today comes with a ton of um, credentials and lots of credibility, but let me just tell you real quickly about her. Her name is Jan Karpman, and she is just this fabulous, fabulous lady. She holds a PhD in architecture and sociology, and she has... um, a wealth of information with regards to design and designing things around how um, is going to most be beneficial to us in our life. And of course, you know, not help us, I mean, of course, to help us have not so much stress around what's going on with regards to how we work, where we work, and things of that nature. Now, Jan and her partner, um, founded the consulting firm of Cartman Grant Associates. And what they do and, and why they founded this was to focus on solely improving wayfinding ease for everyone. So um, let me just, I'm, you know, before I really complicate things and have you guys all turned off about what the heck is she talking about, I'm just going to jump in and just allow Jan to share with us her wonderful information that she's going to bring to us around um, our settings and how we live and in our environment and what we're surrounded and how we can have an environment designed to be most beneficial to us and conducive to what we're doing in our life. So welcome to the show, Jan. How are you doing? I'm great, Rochelle. Thank you. And I'm so pleased to be with you here. We are very happy to have you. And I know the guests are probably wondering, you know, what the heck is she talking about with regards to design and environment and, you know, that kind of stuff. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay. I'd be delighted to. Uh, this began for me on a family trip to the beach when I was about three years old. So I've been at this a long time. Um, I was very independent even at that age. And I decided without telling anybody to take off on my own along the boardwalk. I can still see it today. Lots of pretty rainbow-colored striped cabanas all in a row. But the thing is that they all looked alike. And I couldn't tell where I was, and I couldn't tell which cabana um, I was trying to get back to. So, like a good three-year-old, I started to cry. And a really nice woman, I still remember, she had on a yellow bathing suit. She led me back to my mom, who was, of course, frantic. Um, And something about this experience stuck with me. Even as a toddler, I felt the frustration of not being able to find my way. And that was the first time I got lost. So fast forward, I'm a consultant to large organizations working to make their buildings easier to navigate. Mm -hmm. Complex, confusing places like hospitals that I know you're very familiar with 
museums, airports, even parking garages need to be more user-friendly so visitors like you and me and everyone don't get lost, aren't late, and don't end up so stressed out that they don't come back. And what we do is plan what we call wayfinding systems, the signs, the maps, the landmarks, to help people get where they're going, even if they're first-timers, like that three-year-old I was on the boardwalk. <laughs> so one day, I was wearing my mom hat, and I drove a car full of kids and a teacher on a school field trip. And the teacher whispered to me, very embarrassed, that she herself didn't want to drive because she always had so much trouble finding her way to new places. <laughs> and I thought, aha, the little bell went off, and I thought, I hope that I can learn a lot from her. So I paid really close attention. And I had a lot of ch a chance to do that because we drove a long way. And she was amazed that I could do things that I thought then everybody could do. Right. That I could follow kind of sketchy directions, that if we made a wrong turn, it was okay. I knew what to do. And most incredible of all to her, that I could reverse the route from school to the place we went and from the place we went back to school, which was about a 90-minute trip. Ooh. So she was the first directionally challenged person I knew of. I Obviously, there were many, and I, I <laughs> did know others, but I had not defined it in that way. And this was a revelation to me. And then I figured, of course, there had to be other people. So I interviewed her and her husband, who also turned out to be directionally challenged. Mm -hmm. And I started asking around and discovered that many people, including some of my very own friends and relatives, experience this consistent difficulty and frustration finding their way. I heard lots of stories of attempts to navigate everyday places, and I knew that this was something that I could help people with, that I could teach them the skills they needed to do this. And that was the inspiration for our book, Directional Sense, How to Find Your Way Around. You know, so, that, yeah. that is, um, it's, it's, it's really, I love this subject because um, as a child, being in the car with my mother, and, you know, back then, there were no GPSs. You know, you if you want to know directions, you had to put, there is no map quest. There's no computers. There's no Internet. There's nothing, right? right? If you wanted to know how to get somewhere, you pulled out that big map. You laid it out, hoping that you could fold it back up correctly when you're done. Right. And you kind of try to plot your way along. And my mother was extremely, and still is, extremely directional challenge. Uh -huh. So as a little child, I remember we moved from Palo Alto to San Jose and I probably was all of six, but I'm not, I, I have really good sense of direction. So I remember my grandparents um, coming to visit and actually I had stayed the, the night with them and they were coming to visit so they needed to take me home, but they did, wasn't sure how to get to where our new house was. So they were relying on me, the six-year-old, to give them directions to get, you know, I did it, and then they wanted to take me to the mall. So, again, they're relying on the six-year-old to tell them how to get to this mall that was, like, 20 miles away. I did it. Wow. But it's funny because, um, you know, my mother came to rely upon me for a sense of direction when we had to go somewhere. And so... You know, you're telling the story, and I'm laughing because I'm, I'm just – it takes me back to being when I was a little kid and thinking – 
I remember being around people that were very directionally challenged. But what I also remember seeing is the complete frustration, stress, and fear that would, that would come up for them, especially my mom. She would just get really easily frustrated with it, and um, and then she'd be stressed, yelling at us kids, you know, to be quiet when we weren't, you know, weren't doing anything because she was fearful that she was going to get lost, and you know, and, and she's the mom, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Right, absolutely. And I know that your your show focuses on reducing stress, mm. uh, and this trying to navigate and not knowing how is a huge source of stress for many people, um, not the least of which is thinking that they are the only one who has trouble with this and everybody else is great at it. So in addition to being worried about being on time and being frustrated and frightened about being in the wrong place and costing extra money and limiting your experience, it also diminishes how people think of themselves. Right. It, it makes them less, it, it, it reduces their self-esteem. So it, it's like an additional stressor in addition to all of the other ones. Um, and and it's, there's so many things in the world that you can't control, but this is one thing that you can learn. You can get better at it. You're not ever going to go from having a really um, poor sense of direction to you know, dropping yourself down in the middle of an unfamiliar place and not using any cues and nowhere to go. But in fact, nobody really can do that. Right. The people who you think have this incredible sense of direction have have learned these skills and have practiced them so often and so much that they've internalized them and they know what to do. There's a series of steps. It's not magic. Nobody is born knowing how to find their way around. Right. So there are differences, there are brain differences between people who are directionally challenged and people with a a good sense of direction. direction. But there are definitely things that that you can do if you are directionally challenged um, to to learn this. And that's what our book, Directional Sense, does, is it explains what is this all about um, in a really friendly, easy-to-follow way and says, Mm -hmm. okay, now, you know, if you're ready to do this, here's what you need to do, A, B, C, D. That's, you know, I, I think this, um, actually, I'm, I'm going to buy your book for my mom, <laughs> but I think it's it's really it's really good information, and people don't even think about it when they're directionally challenged, the stress that it, it creates for them. I just know, you know, I can, I still have vivid visions of my mom being stressed out and relying on me um, to help her out, and I, I, I guess at this point and say I, I must have a gift because I can go to some place once and get back there, no problem. I can um also be falling asleep and this is what happened a lot when I was a kid because I would get car sick. So I would fall be falling asleep. But just the way the car moved, like if I if we were driving and we're going along and I you know, I'm up and then I doze off or whatever, just the way the car moved even though I was falling asleep, I could get us back there. So it was just, it's just this really, you know, interesting concept of how I'm so not directionally challenged. Mm-hmm. I'm so like in tune to, I don't know, the ebb and flow of things with regards to getting to where I want to go. Or, uh-huh. But, and then, you know, here in my same family, the real other extreme is my mom who's so directionally challenged, you know, that, um, you know, it just, 
she she just you know it just became real difficult for her um thank goodness there's gps and stuff now but you know so it's really interesting because i don't really think people really see that how much stress that causes and, and imagine being on a family vacation in a car and the mom and dad are you know trying to get somewhere and you're in the back seat and the mom's trying to tell the dad and the dad's not listening and you end up lost in timbuktu somewhere you know that's right. a stressful situation in it that is. It yeah. is. It's very stressful. And I think, you know, the first couple of examples you and I have both talked about have had to do with kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to find your way around as a as a kid is is really quite important. And, and I have a story to tell you about that, um, about a middle school kid named Gregory. Mm-hmm. Um, he had just finished sixth grade and um, sixth grade summer orientation at his new school, which is one of these huge middle schools, and he felt just kind of sick to his stomach because it was it was just a nightmare. All of it was a nightmare. He was a new kid. He didn't know anybody, and he couldn't find his way from one classroom to the next. It took him several tries to locate his locker, and he never even found the band room. So he went home, and he asked his mom if he could be homeschooled <laughs> instead okay. because he just he just didn't know how he was ever going to find his way around this huge place. So she got back to her own junior high orientation trauma and bought him a copy of Directional Sense. Um, Since there was still time, it was the summer, there was still time to figure out how to find his way around before the school started in September. So he, you know, reluctantly read the book, but he was surprised to learn that a lot of people have trouble finding their way around. So he and his mom used directional sense to figure out what he should do, given that he's a middle school kid. So he looked in his orientation packet and he found a map and the um, directional sense helped him learn how to how to use the map, how to make sense of it. And so he took some markers and he highlighted his classrooms and the gym and the band room and the cafeteria. So the, those were all the places where he needed to go. And then he used another color to highlight the path from one to the other. Okay. So that was I thought that was pretty clever. So he knew that as a new kid and as a sixth grader, people would tease him right. mercilessly you know, if he carried the map. So he knew he couldn't do that. So he memorized it. Good, good plan. Yeah. You know, good plan. And then um, Directional Sense also told him to create and use some personal landmarks, so places that that he knew if he saw it, it meant either that he was on the right on the right track, or when he saw something, then he would take some kind of action. So he re- he realized that the boys' locker room was next to the trophy case. Okay, so uh-huh. he, he knew when he saw the trophy case that was his personal landmark. Didn't need to be meaningful to anybody else, but for him, it was his cue that now you turn for the locker room. So. Another thing he learned was to, to sneak a look back as, as he made his way through the corridors, which, of course, as you know, in middle school and high school are so crowded. With oh, my kids. gosh, yeah. Really crowded, and you only have a couple, you know, very little time to get through it. But he learned to do that so he could tell how to go in the opposite direction when he was changing classes next time. So he kind of previewed it that way. Um, oh. And so these, these tips from Directional Sense helped him and he, it helped him actually find his way, but it also eased 
stress of worrying about, you know, there are enough things you have to right. worry about, about going to school, about being new, about all of that. But this was one thing that I think his mom was really wise in, in saying, how can we make some of this better? Here's something we can do. We can, we can teach you this, um, this skill. And it was really helpful. Wow, that's that's neat because I can totally, you know, put myself in that place of that kid in sixth grade. You're in a new environment. You know, you just left being big man on campus from your elementary school, and now you're in middle school. This new environment. There's all these kids. The eighth graders are ready to pounce on you because right. it's fresh meat. You you want to seem confident, like you know what you're doing and where you're going, but yet you don't, right? And, right. And it could be so stressful and overwhelming just dealing with all that stuff, plus all the other stuff in middle school to begin with. So. It's great that you've created this wonderful book about, you know, helping people find their directional sense and doing it in a a less stressful manner and being successful with it. I I love that. Now, you know, we um, we have this fabulous technology available to us today. You know what? I I, I want to just put this out there in. and listeners, if any of you guys can relate to this, um, you're going to get a chuckle. But um, I really feel sorry for the kids of today and beyond because they are going to, if something ever happens to our technology, they're going to be lost. <laughs> because, you know, we have GPS systems to get us to navigate wherever, you know, they're in the car, they're on the phone, they're, on, you know, everywhere. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, to me, I mean, that's great. I love the technology. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I did like growing up in the 60s and 70s as well. But I love the technology we have today. But I'm not so dependent upon it that I forgot how to use my own sense of direction, my internal sense of direction. But, you know, these kids today, if something happens to the technology, they're going to be lost. They're not going to know how to get from one place to the next. And your book. Quick, I, I'm going to recommend that everybody go out and buy this book and just have it just in case. You never know what may happen. We may have a solar flare and wipes out all the technology and then we're stuck and we're on the freeway because no one, you know, we're stuck in the freeway and no one knows how to get to anywhere because the GPS systems are down. And um, so I'm going to recommend that everyone go out and buy this book just to have in your library just in case. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you an example, a story like that. Um, you know, many people now feel so close to their to their GPS that they refer to it by name. Mm-hmm. So they'll say, you know, for example, what does Francesca say? Mm-hmm. You know, Will she be mad if we go another <laughs> way? And Francesca says, recalculating. Mm-hmm. Um, so GPS, as, as you said, has, has certainly freed us up to jump into our cars and go, even if we have no idea where we're going. But the path of true GPS love doesn't always run smoothly. Mm-hmm. So here's a story about Catherine. Catherine is very directionally challenged, and she relies on her GPS, just like you were saying, Rochelle. She was she was on a trip with her kids once, and she needed they needed to go from their hotel. They were in Philadelphia um, to her, her aunt's home in New Jersey. Her son programmed the GPS, and off they went. And it was a dark and stormy night. Not the best driving conditions, but they were confident because they always relied. They didn't have to think. They didn't have to do any planning in advance. They just would do what the GPS said. As they approached a bridge over the river, they noticed signs that said the bridge was closed. Uh Uh-oh, right? So they turned around and tried another route, confident that the GPS would work. And what did good old Francesca, the GPS, do? Recalculating, she said. (laughs) 
then she led them back to the same closed bridge. They did this four times in the dark, in the rain, all to no avail. And now, of course, they were totally frustrated and late. Right. Catherine didn't know what else to do, so she put in a different destination into the GPS, which was back to their hotel. They drove back to the hotel and started again. But she remembered reading directional sense and learning how maps could be helpful. Mm-hmm. Since as somebody who's directionally challenged, she's always felt very you know, intimidated by maps. The book explained how they give you the big picture. And she felt kind of desperate at that point and, and didn't want the trip to her aunt's to be a total fiasco. So she got a map at the hotel and kind of nervously asked the front desk clerk to show her how to go, um, to highlight the route on the map as, as Directional Sense had, had suggested. So she and her kids could then see that there was another bridge. There wasn't just one bridge over this river. river. There was another one, and they could take that. And although they were really late, this time they made it, and Catherine was inspired to take a look at a map before her next road trip, just in case Francesca, the GPS, lets her down again. So I think what you're saying is absolutely true. You you have to have other skills at your disposal and other ways of getting information because situations change all the time. There's construction, there's weather, sometimes the GPS, you know, I was, I was, on a business trip yesterday in a Mm -hmm. place where I didn't know, using the GPS, and it told me to turn left on a one-way street that was going the other way. (laughs) So you've got to be awake, alert, you've got to be thinking, and you have to be able to pull the, you know, tools out of your, other tools out of your pocket that can help you uh, in the situation. Yes, I, I I like that. I mean, it's true. And, um, you know, it, it, you guys, you just can't, you cannot rely on just one thing. I, like I tell my kids growing up, at, as they were growing up, you know, you always have to have a plan A, B, and C. Right. That way if plan A, something happens, you know, that's your best plan. That's what you're striving for. That's your ultimate, you know, goal that you want to reach. But if something happens and, you know, things do come across that we can't foresee, then you have plans B and C. And it's the same thing with, you know, having a GPS that's recalculating, recalculating. That happens a lot in San Francisco in the high rise, you know, financial district. Can't get the signal, so it's always recalculating. The problem is you're driving while it's trying to recalculate, right. and inevitably you will pass up the street you need to turn because it's recalculating at that point, right? Right. So that's, that's right. What you do book like directional challenge, so that's your plan B and C. That's back right. <laughs> that's right. And even even Michelle, to to make sense of what the GPS is telling you, if you're relying on the verbal, you know, auditory cues, um, how it labels exits on highways, for example how it's giving you information about street names. You may, if you're paying attention as you should be, see a different street name in front of you than the GPS is telling you to do or a different exit number. Um, it's important that, that you are familiar enough with, um, you know, that you've, you've had an overview of the trip, that you have a sense of where you're going, of what the streets are called, irrespective of the GPS, so that so that if the GPS is is not 
totally helpful at the moment you need to make a decision. And, and your point is absolutely true, you, especially when you're driving. You need to make decisions, you know, quickly and, and instantaneously sometimes. Um, so it's really important to have this have this additional skill. The other thing is that GPSs um, typically give you a, a map graphic to look at. And depending on the system mm-hmm. you're using, uh, the Hertz Never Lost system may be different from the Garmin um, GPS system may be different from Google Maps, may be different from um, the I, you know, Apple Maps. Right. Um, you're gonna, you will need to make some sense of the maps that it's showing you to understand which way you are heading, what that even means, um, what the symbols on the map means, uh, mean all of those things. So it's not you're you're not just um, kind of a you know um, a follower. But, but you need to have some greater understanding, and um, our book, Directional Sense, will, will help you do that and also take you know, the stress and kind of the nervousness out of it, which is, which is really important. And in order to learn anything new, in order to, to make decisions, as you know, mm-hmm. um, you need to be able to focus on something and, and having um, a situation be as stress-free as possible will, will help you do that. I, yeah, I I totally with you 100%. You know, <clears throat> because we have, you know, the GPS systems and all that kind of stuff, and as we just kind of discussed here, people still get lost when things are being recalculated or the map hasn't been updated or whatever the case may be with regards to technology. Can you tell us or touch a little bit on <clears throat> the aspect of actually – getting lost or being lost, and is being lost, or why, well, let me say, first of all, is being lost a bad thing? Well, yes, usually. I would, I would say there, there, and, and let me just give the, give the exception first. There's okay. some people who, who say, oh, it's nice to wander, it's nice to, you know, go someplace and just wander around and see what you find. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's very nice. However, most of the situations that most of us find ourselves in in everyday life are not those kinds of situations. They're, they're situations in which we're pressed for time. We are, we are trying to get from one place to another. There are other circumstances um, that make it essential for us to be on time. Somebody's depending on us. We need to present ourselves well at a meeting or a job interview or a presentation. We need to make a plane. We need to, um, you know, get to a doctor's appointment on time. There are just all kinds of daily life situations where we end up navigating to places where we're not familiar. Either we've never been there before. Or if we're directionally challenged, it doesn't matter if we've been there before, we still can't necessarily find our way there. Right. So, so what does this mean? It means that it takes more time because we may go the wrong way. We may, um, you know, overshoot our, our um, turn. We may have to backtrack. Um, it may take extra energy, you know, for driving. It may take extra gas if we're walking takes extra human energy to to be you know looking and and again going the wrong way and, mm-hmm. and all of that for some people it takes extra money some people take taxis so they won't have to find their way or hire guides or take tours 
um, so they won't have to do any navigating themselves, which which is is um, costs them more. As I mentioned before, it definitely diminishes people's self-esteem to think. Um, for many people, I'm good at all these things in my life. Why can't I be good at this? Why? Right. Why? What is it? You know that that makes me. And then they'll call themselves by disparaging names. You know, I'm I'm a dummy. I'm a directional dummy. Or I'm, right. you know, it just you know. And because because this particular skill, you know, comes um, with great difficulties, it it also leads people to limit their experiences and limit the territory. So if you're somebody who's directionally challenged and, you know, you'd really like to travel or you'd really even like to go to a new museum, but you're so afraid that you won't be able to find the museum, you'll get lost in the middle of it, you won't be able to find the bathroom on time, you might not go. And so if, you know, you're limiting your territory just to the places that you already know you're you know you're you're limiting what's exciting about life which is which is learning new things and having you know going new places and and all of that so it it really becomes um a a detriment i think to to living life to the fullest and finally it can it can jeopardize safety it can lead you to places where you shouldn't be in the first place and make it hard for you to get out of places or situations where it's essential that you um, can get out efficiently. So for all those kinds of reasons, getting lost is, is not a good thing. It's not a thing that people want to do. In, in those controlled situations, if you're, if you're wandering around a museum where you know very well where you are and how to get back to your car, um, and how to find the bathroom, then that kind of wandering is great. You know, if you're on a, you know, <laughs> in, on a hiking trail and you know exactly, you know, how to get back to, um, where you, where you came in and you're enjoying nature and all of that, I think that's great. But for most of us, our, our journeys are pretty purposeful and it's, it's essential for us to know, um, where we are and where we're going and how to follow a good route there, how to recognize our destination, and then how to reverse all of that and find our way back out. And that's this this funny jargony word called wayfinding. That's what that means. It's, oh, it's wow. being able to do all those things, knowing where you are, knowing where you're going, finding a good route, staying on that route, uh-huh. being able to recognize the destination, and then reversing it and finding your way back. Love so it. Can, yeah, if you think about... For example, in a hospital, okay, mm-hmm. um, are people able to do that? If, if you go up to, um, you know, a random group of, of hospital patients and visitors and say, okay, where are you? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And how do you get to radiology or whatever? Exactly. Uh-huh. And how do you find your way back to your car? Usually you get this kind of blank look of, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm lucky, I'm lucky to be here. Somebody led me. Somebody directed me. But but it makes them feel incompetent. Right. And you know there are there are enough sources of stress in our lives that we can't control. Here's one that we can control to some you know to some degree. There, right. There's not everything, right. and a lot of our book actually goes through and explains how the different cues for wayfinding, the signs and the maps and the directions, how they can, what what shortcomings they have. 
um, because none of them, none of them is perfect. Right. And um, understanding what the shortcomings are help you know how you can compensate for that, how you can cope with that. Um, but it's it's just something really important that that just makes life better and makes you feel better about yourself when you I, can do that. I I really um I really like what you're saying with regards because I think this is going to help a lot of people with regards to you know those that are directionally challenged and you know have you know, a tremendous amount of fear and stress behind it. Um, I think that this is going to help them to realize that you're not alone. You're not the only one like this. There are many, many people out there like this. And and whether you want to admit it or not, it's okay because, you know, I have this wonderful book that I've written for you to help you with this. And so, so now that you know you're not alone and now that you know there are other people like you and you don't have to be fearful anymore and here's a solution for you and you take this book and you read it and you'll find out that there might be many solutions for you to help you navigate not you know particularly not just through buildings and parking structures and things of that nature but you can apply the context or you know to your life and help you navigate through your life as well, and you can go ahead and step out bold and confidently without having that fear that you're going to get lost or, you know, you're not going to end up where you're supposed to be or things of that right. nature. Right. No, you're right. You're right. I and let me, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you a story about the, the most, when when people, when, when I meet new people and, and they, they ask what I do and I explain it, I usually get two kinds of stories. I, I get many stories. First of all, people say, people, say, people say, oh, let me tell you about this place. They need you. <laughs> and I, was, I hear about that. I hear about that a lot. But the other thing, the other particular kind of anecdote I hear about is parking. Parking garages. In particular. Oh, yeah. So let me tell you, let me tell you about, about one story about this. This is a woman named, um, named Juliana. And she had a parking, we'll say, adventure. Um, she needed to pick up her sister, Jill, at an airport. And Juliana, Juliana was running late, as we often all do, oh. and misjudged how bad the rush hour traffic would be. We all do that. Oh. So she was totally frazzled by the time she arrived, even though her GPS led her correctly. So although she often has trouble navigating, she managed to find the airport parking garage. She dropped her car. She ran to the shuttle bus got to the airport where her sister, as sisters sometimes do, um, expressed annoyance to have been waiting for a while. Mm-hmm. So Jill and Juliana made their way back on the shuttle bus, then to the garage. Juliana led the way to the car, but it wasn't where she thought she left it. So what did her sister do? She rolled her eyes at Juliana and thinking, oh, there she goes again. And after walking in circles for what seemed like hours, they managed to find an attendant, which is not always easy, and he drove them around and around and around. Juliana was completely frustrated and furious at herself, but they still couldn't find the car. Finally, the attendant asked her if she was sure she was in the right garage. (laughs) What? She said, isn't there only one? Oh, no, the attendant replied. There are two, an hourly garage and a daily garage. Your car must be in the other one, which, of course, it was. 
So Jill gave Juliana a copy of Directional Sense for her next birthday, and Juliana learned to pay attention to and even write down which garage or parking lot she's in, as well as the section, floor, and space where she's left her car. You know, and again, you, you might think, Rochelle, oh, God, everybody does this, everybody knows, but no, I've heard this same story from numerous people. And the, and the feeling is always, what they always say is, my car has been stolen, right? Yeah, because yeah, if yeah. Because if the car is not where you know you left it, it must have been stolen. And that happened to me, too. I even had the embarrassing situation of calling, <laughs> calling the police. I did. Oh, my. I called the police. Not in the garage. I parked on a, on a street, and my car wasn't there. Called the police. And they were, I, I was amazed where they found it very close by in some place. Oh, they're like, Completely uh, different because I've forgotten. I didn't write it down. Well, you know, you know, that's so funny because I know people who've done that. I mean, just recently, um, a gal went to Walmart. Okay, Walmart. There are no, I don't know about where you live or anywhere outside of um, Northern California. I mean, I do know, but I'm thinking Walmart does not have parking garages. It's usually a big flat space with right. oodles and oodles of parking. So right. the gal, you know, came, probably hurried, rushed, multitasking on the phone, whatever, you know, parked her car, went into Walmart, did her business. And you know how Walmart, you kind of sometimes get sucked in <laughs> to the Walmart. Yeah, and it's, it's big and confusing inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. gosh. And then you go through the checkout and you go back out and she's like, you know, looking for her car. And lo and behold, there were several cars, her, her make and model and color that were in the parking lot. So mm. she goes to a car that she thinks, she's like, I, th- I think this is my car. You know, she goes, she hits her little beep, beep to unlock right. the car. Nothing right. happens. You know, she starts circling around, circling around, circling around. She's like, I can't find my car. Every time I hit my thing, it, the beep, beep doesn't. Well, Walmart, it it was a super Walmart, so they had a really big parking lot that encompassed both sides of the store. Mm. So she actually was parked on the other side of the store. Yeah. It's like the front and the back. She was actually yeah. parked in the back of the stores in that back parking lot, which is just as full as the front. And, you know, she went to the security and reported her. I think my somebody stole my car. Right. Out wandering the front of the parking, you know, that front parking lot. And they're going to every car that looks like her. She can't get in it, you know. And then the security did just like, hey, did did what about did you park in the back? Maybe you parked in the back. And she's like, well, what do you mean there's a back? And she and then she realized, oh, I did come in the back way, and you know, I did come down that street and park. So it so it's just funny how that happened. Oh yeah, and that and you're right. That is a really common situation, and it's so and and so think about how much time she spent right. looking for her car, how frustrated she was. It's kind of embarrassing to you know seek somebody out, explain that you left. You know, there's there's just all of that. Stress is just so frustrating. It's so, really you know, there, there are a couple things working here. One is that, um, and, and that's true um, where I live, of our local movie theater, mm-hmm. where the, there's a front and a back, and they look identical both on the outside and the inside. So, so one of the situations, of course, is for people designing these buildings to pay attention to that, to think about those things and make the entrances look right. different. Right. So people can tell. But the other thing that, that all of us can do in the meantime, before our environments are all designed perfectly, <laughs> it take a little while, um, is, to, is to pay attention 
to landmarks, even if you don't know um, what the quote front or the back of an identical, you know, of identical entrances to a building like Walmart, even if you have no idea, and there's no reason that you would. What you need to do when you walk in is to pay attention to what's there and to stop for a minute even before you go in the door and look back and and see where your car is so that when you're coming out of the building after you've had the Walmart experience or the movie experience or whatever it is you're you're going to be doing, you say to yourself, okay, I'm, I'm standing here. This is where I'll be on the way out. My car is three aisles to the right and about halfway down. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you say that to yourself. And then you say to yourself, okay, what's inside this entrance? What am I seeing? Um, is it the toy department? Is it the menswear department? What is it? Because they're not going to have the same department on the other side of the store, right. too, right? There's going to be some some uniqueness there. And then something else that you can do that is really easy and quick is to take a picture. Take a picture of what, you know, using your phone, of what that entrance looks like so that you don't have to write it down then, you don't even have to remember, you know it's on your camera and it, or on your phone. And if um, you're having trouble finding your way back to an entrance later, say you've gone into a museum and you've gone, you know, floor after floor, exhibit after exhibit, and you really don't know where you're going, you can show that picture to a museum employee and say, this is where I came in. Can you help me get back there? So just by taking a little bit of time, you know, not rushing so hard and thinking, what am I going to have to do on my way back? Remember, the the, the fifth step of wayfinding is finding your way back. Right. So if you think about that as you're finding your way in, it's really helpful. And you can do just a couple little things that that will make it easier for you. I like that. Is there any other tips that you can offer um, to those listeners that might be experiencing, you know, I mean, you gave a ton, but is there anything else that you can offer the listeners that will be like, oh, 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 let me do that right now? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you another. Let me tell you another story. Yes, contains, I love your stories. Are so okay. cool. <laughs> Thank you. The point can relate to all of them. So yeah. Well, you know, this is this is, and and that's kind of. The message here, this is something we all experience. Everybody does. People with great senses of directions have to find their way every day through Walmart to, you know, through parking garages to. It's not just directionally challenged people. So we all need tips. We all need better ways to do this. Um, some people, um, it, it comes more easily to some people than others, but this is, this is just a common human experience. Um, of, of navigating. So here's a story about a woman named Lynette. Um, and she is a business traveler, and some people think that business travelers all have great senses of direction. Well, some of them don't. Lynette is an assistant professor at a small Midwestern college, very smart, very good at her job, and great at hiding her directional challenges. She's fine walking from home to her office on campus and from her office to her classroom. She's, you know, walked these paths so often they've become second nature. She's learned them. She knows her way. That's what it means. When you, when you can do it without having to think about every single step, then you know your way. But what would really freak her out is when she had to go to a conference in a place she didn't know. Mm-hmm. She'd get really, really nervous 
not about what most people get nervous about when they go to conferences, which is presenting and speaking in front of a lot of people. That's what most people get nervous about. No, she's fine about that. She gets nervous about getting from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel to the conference center, and to her presentation room within the conference center. So one day she came across an article about directional sense and decided to buy the book to see if it could help her. She learned about preparing for visiting a new place by finding online directions and tailoring them just for her. So that's something she didn't know about. She also learned that making dry runs, which are rehearsal visits that take the unknowns out of traveling to new places. So she decided to do some things differently on her next business trip. She wrote out the directions from the airport to the hotel, mm-hmm. and, and she wrote them the way that she would use them. So the way you get directions on MapQuest or, or Google Maps are, are in their language, you right. know, in their, what makes sense to them. But if you take some time to, to look at it and say, okay, I understand what you're saying here. You're giving, giving me five different steps to tell me to get on to an expressway. Okay, I don't need the five steps. I'm just going to cross that out mm-hmm. and say, get on the expressway going in this direction. So, okay. so if you tailor them, um, and there's absolutely no reason why you can't and, and shouldn't, that can be really helpful. So she learned that. And then she took some time when she arrived to make a dry run to the conference center and find the room where she'd give her talk. She was amazed. She was able to talk her way in. She had time. She wasn't sweating, which is what she usually was when when she had to find her way. And she found the room. Directional Sense gave her a way way to practice finding her way before the fact so she wasn't nervous about doing it when the stakes were high, when when she actually had to give her talk and she had to get there on time. Mm-hmm. So so she could relax. She could breathe a sigh of relief. She had done it. She saw how long it would take. She saw you know, she had to take an had to take an elevator. Mm-hmm. She saw what she did. She she saw the route. She walked the route and so that stressor was gone. For her, oh, wow. and so that's an important. When you ask what what's an important um, idea from directional sense that people can do, when the stakes are high, when it's essential that you, let's say, you have a job interview, you know, or um, you have an important meeting or anything like that, and you've never been there before and you're very nervous about it, take some time and make a practice trip. If you can't make a dry run, and you know, you're not under stress then and just see what's going on, see where you park, see where you enter, see what you do when you get there. And that will just, I think, make you feel a lot better. I like that. I think that's really, really good, uh, a really good tip. And and I like just kind of visualizing it before it happens or doing a practice run, mm-hmm. you know, before you need to actually do it will completely relieve so much stress. I mean, you're already going to have stress about whatever you need to do and being there on time right. or whatever. Exactly. And then exactly. you don't need additional stress of trying to navigate on top of that and That's getting right. lost and all that. So I love the doing the practice run because, um, it you know it just it really is a stress melter you know you you have the confidence when you need to do it that you can do it because you've already practiced doing it you've done it 
Right, and you don't have to prove it to anybody else. No. It's about you. It's just about you. You know, and then what happens, of course, is when you, if you've always been somebody who's been, you know, who's directionally challenged, you've always had trouble, people inevitably tease you all the time. People go, oh, you know, she'll never find her way. She'll be late. You know, there'll be some excuse. Um, and you can surprise them when you start to show up to places on time, when you don't always have to be led by somebody else, when you go to new places on your own. So it's it's not only, I think, improving your own, um, justifiably improving your own sense of what you can do and being confident uh, and competent at this skill that you always thought was beyond you, but other people will take notice of that. Yes. And not only, yes, wow, she can do this now, but she wrestled with something that was difficult for her. You know, she didn't just avoid, try to avoid doing it or rely on other people. She decided to sit down, read this book, Directional Sense, work through, because it's not just reading, obviously, it, it takes practice and it, and it takes working through various skills and, and experiences. But I think, I think that is, is so admirable that people yeah. will respect that as well as the, um, the increased skills um, that, you, that you derive from that. Yes, yes, yes. I, I love it, love it, love it. And, you know, we are actually coming um, to the end of our time with you today. Um, but what I would like for you to share before we go is how can people get more of you, your work, and, of course, this fabulous book that I think everybody should go get, even if it's not for you. I know you have someone in your family that's directionally challenged. Um, how can they get this book? So tell oh, us. Okay. We have a, a brand-new website called Directional Sense. Dot com uh-huh. and from the website you can click through to Amazon and purchase the book. There are also places on the website where um, you can ask questions of um, my co-author Myron Grant and myself, and we will respond. And there are um, places where you can tell your own stories about navigating either successfully or unsuccessfully, as the case may be. But those stories are really helpful to other people to um, to see, you know, what what have others done? What's been uh, what are our tips? You suggest, you know, have you gotten lost at the airport too? Yeah, I've gotten lost at the airport too. Right. So it's it's a good way to to share with other people. So that's directionalsense.com, um, and we would be delighted to um, to get questions from you and stories. Love it. Well, thank you. So- so much, Jan. Again, you guys, um, you have to, I, if I can't stress this enough, I seem like I'm beating a dead horse over the head, but I just know how important it is and how this causes a lot of stress for people. So I'm just going to really emphasize to go ahead and go pick up this book, Directional Sense, How to Find Your Way Around, and you can apply the content and the wonderful information, not only to just navigating your way around the city, the town, the state, or the world, but also um, 
in your life as well with regards to what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. I, I just think there's just lots of words of wisdom in there, and I know you will not be disappointed. And so I would just like to say thank you, Janet. I know you go by Jan, but, you know, you're more professional, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I've, it's been delightful to be a guest on your show. Yeah, I really appreciate you've been it. fabulous. It's just been fun listening and relating to the stories and, you know, the aspect that I bought, talked about with regards to me. And when I was six, I completely forgot. I mean, you know, you, you table things back. You file them in the file cabinet in your head. And then, you know, sometimes little sparks. I'm like, oh, I haven't thought about that in years. So it was kind of nice to go back to being when I was six and, you know, doing that. Because, you know, of course, it gives me fond memories of being with my grandparents, who, of course, are now deceased. But yeah. um, but it's just, you know, it's just fun. And I like it. It's different. and it, But it's so important in our lives. It's so, so important in our lives. So thank you so much, Janet Carpman, you guys. Please go get her book. And, of course, I would like to say thank you for listening to the show today. I know that you have found some very informational, very informative um, information that, that Jan has um, laid out for us. It, it's something we all can utilize. And um, I really do appreciate you guys listening to me and, and my guests because we're here to help make you or help you have the best best possible 2013 that you can possibly have, but also to help you have a really good life in all aspects that are really pretty stress-free or at least equip you with the tools to help you to make your life more stress-free so that you can have that life of bliss. And with that, I'm going to say, um, of course, you guys know I'm Rochelle Lawson, your host for the wonderful, wonderful Blissful Living show. And I'm wishing you peace to your mind wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. And until we meet again on our next Blissful Living Hour, be well, be happy, be at peace, and be filled with joy and health. Good day, everyone, and thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.